Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's time for stoppage time. It's Wednesday. It's 2 o'clock. We'll be taking your questions on Atlanta United, on their win last weekend, on their match coming up in Philadelphia this weekend. We'll talk about the Eastern Conference as a whole. There are games tonight to pay attention to. And we'll talk about the League's Cup announcement yesterday because that's got everybody going. Um, but if you have questions, fire them off in the chat, and we will get into those as we go. Yeah, I mean, exciting weekend uh, this past weekend for Atlanta United, getting a 3-2 win over D.C. Uh, got action at the fraction tonight, yep. which is uh, something to not be overlooked against the always pesky Birmingham Legion. Uh, and, I, look, I, I think this Leeds Cup thing's a huge deal. And I, I know a lot of people had very strong reactions about it when the information came out yesterday. I think it's a big deal. I think it's, it's going to be great in growing the MLS brand in Mexico. I think it's going to help Liga MX grow their brand in the United States. Uh, if it needs any more growing, I think it's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I, I do have concerns. I do have questions about how it's, it's going to look. But it's a big, bold idea. And I, I think Don Garber deserves a lot of credit, as does everyone involved in CONCACAF and Liga MX to try to make this work. Uh, you don't know if you're, you're not going to try. Right. And, uh, and they're going to try. And I, I think it's great. It's, it's bold. It's very, very bold. I think it's something that increase certainly is going to increase the value of the next MLS media rights deal, uh, whether it's sold as a, a separate package or if it's going to be bundled into the, uh, the league's uh, TV rights, that alone is going to make this a worthy endeavor, but you know, and we'll go through it. I, I have concerns about match compression. I really do. I have concerns about whether or not the MLS teams can be competitive uh, in a, a tournament against Liga MX. 
League MX doesn't have a salary cap. League MX teams tend to be a little bit deeper top to bottom than than an MLS team. A few. Uh, yeah, a few, yeah, certainly the top clubs. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wonder, too, it, it seems like maybe the timing's a little more convenient for the Mexican teams because it's going to be between the Rapporteur and Coasura. It's going to be in the midst of the MLS season. Is there a competitive advantage or disadvantage associated with that? But these are all things that can be worked out. And the bottom line is you're trying to have a major competition that's going to increase the ties between Mexico and the United States and Canada without fully merging the two leagues, which I don't think is really a viable option to begin with. No, I I don't think that could ever happen just from a, a business standpoint and from a number of teams standpoint. I, I, I don't think that was ever it. I, we talked about it years ago that, Something like this was the realistic way they would work together, and that's what we're going to see. There's room for it to expand. I mean, there's room for it to expand into more group stage games, things like that. A lot of it depends on how it's received and how it goes. A, a couple of things I want to get into, like the match compression conversation has come up. I think what this does is it forces MLS to do two different things um, initially. One, it's going to force them to look at their roster rules and structure. I think it's been time for MLS to have some version of the NBA two-way contract for its reserve team players. Guys like for Atlanta United 2, like Robbie Mertz, like Chris Allen, like Aiden McFadden. You know, not that they could come up and play in every MLS game and be on a reserve team contract, but to play a certain number of games, to have more than this emergency call-up situation set up. They, they need to be able to use that more to broaden that roster because you're going to need more depth to deal with more games. Now, we're, we're talking somewhere between three and seven, three and eight more games, depending on the knockout structure of League's Cup, um, a minimum of three more potentially two more games um, in CONCACAF Champions League with the addition of a first round ahead of the round of 16. That would be two more. So at the at the most 10, at the minimum, three more games. It, it's more, and it's something that teams are going to have to deal with. Roster rules will help. But I also think there is a growing need for managers in this league to accept that they're going to have to rotate and they're going to have to rely on their academies to produce their depth. That's essential. Now, I'm not saying play academy players. you got to sign them to pro deals. There is an issue with NCAA rights. NCAA has allowed players to play in USL Championship on, a, you know, on an academy deal, a non-pro contract. They can play in the second division pro league. With everything changing with NCAA and now you know name and image rights and all that kind of stuff, would they allow you to play as an amateur in MLS while on an academy deal? And if it doesn't work out, you go into NCAA soccer. Maybe now they would. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that. But clubs who develop talent, and we're seeing that in Atlanta now with George Campbell playing significant minutes right now. We've seen it with George Bellow. We've seen it with others. We're seeing it with Dallas. Managers are going to have to commit to playing those players maybe more than they have in the past because you're going to need to. You know, when you come off of a League's Cup run, 
you go deeper into it and your starting center back has played seven games in that month of time, they need a break. All right, you might have to turn to a young player for a game or two in the league to give them that break. That's what big clubs around the world do. And what this will do is it'll put, I think it'll put it more likely that MLS teams, the top teams anyway, who will be going deep into competitions, will have to play more players to deal with it. MLS is so much more forgiving in doing that because you just got to get into the playoffs. And, and seeding matters, of course, but get in, you get in. You know, if you have to sacrifice some points in the league because you've got to rotate, MLS allows you to do that, where maybe the Premier League and, and La Liga and others don't because it's just one table. It's something that can be done, and it's something that has to be accepted. You know, Tata Martino wouldn't have done it. We, we saw that during his time here. He hated to rotate. He never wanted to play the young players, and he really didn't. Um, Frank DeBoer did go deeper into his roster. Uh, Gabriel Heinze didn't really go super deep in his roster. He changed the tactics, but he didn't go super deep. We're seeing Gonzalo Pineda go deep in his roster. And Seattle has been a club that when they've had to play their kids, they've played their kids. It's something that you're going to have to do now if you're a top team in this league because, yeah, you might play 50 games in a year, which top teams in Europe already are doing. And MLS teams can, even with salary cap, all that. They have to broaden out the ability to play reserve players. That's the easy first step to allow you to call up players from your reserve team. I don't think it's an accident that now MLS has that structure under its own umbrella with MLS Next and signing players to those kinds of deals to have that ability to come up and play in MLS for a certain number of games a season or whatever it looks like. That's essential, and that's, that's literally writing the rule and implementing it in 2023 when the time comes. Yeah, and we talked about this on SDH. I mean, for Atlanta United, as an example, that is an MLS club that I think is going to have a competitive advantage in a, a format like this because they are an ambitious club with an infrastructure, uh, good academy program, very good second team uh, that can feed into the first team and, and alleviate some of the issues that you're talking about, Jason. So, you know, for the, the bigger well-infrastructured clubs with good academies, um, you know, Atlanta, Dallas, Philadelphia, just to name a few off the top of my head, um, they might have a, a little bit more of an edge mm -hmm. in a, a season like what 2023 is going to look like. Um, but you could still be playing 50 to 55 matches if you make a run in everything. Uh, and that includes the U.S. Open Cup, by the way, which is going to continue. Yeah, it's not going away. Um, you know, it does make me wonder what MLS's future involvement in U.S. Open Cup will look like if maybe fewer teams jump in later. I don't know. Uh, I think it's important for MLS to remain involved in U.S. Open Cup. I think that's vital. Some teams but might take it less seriously is, is what I could see happening. It, it becomes potentially a lesser trophy to some of the bigger teams that are in CONCACAF and, and dealing with more compression. Yeah, it could be. It happens. You know what? It, it's, it, it, the thing that I don't want to see with the expanded Leagues Cup is a situation where 
MLS has most or all of its teams knocked out by the time you get to the round of eight uh, or even the round of 16. Yeah. Now you've shut the league down for, let's say, the entire month of July. It's going to be in the summer. I'm assuming July, but it, it might not be. It might June. It might be June. It might probably, be August. Probably July. There could be a little yeah. bit of overlap, but the so, Liga MX calendar, that's where it would fit right now. Yeah. So, I mean, if you shut down the league for the month of July and almost all your teams are out by July 15th, that doesn't help MLS. Um, so I'll be curious to see how the tournament's going to be formatted and structured. What, what's the group stage going to look like? Are they going to be a neutral sites? Are they going to be at home venues? Could potentially be a lot of travel involved in a short amount of time if you're going to play. Uh, Mike, I lost your audio. All right. Mike is having some technical difficulties, unfortunately. He's lost the hearing as well, as we can see. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to battle with a couple things. So Mike will be back here in a second, um, as will I. But you can hear me. We'll be back in just a second with Mike as we deal with some production issues. Um, he's going to pop right back in. You'll hear that. And you hear it right now. And let's try that again. Okay. Now you can see us. Now everything's working. Uh, we're good. It, we're dealing with gremlins right now. I have a whole new setup, and uh, it's not working. Yes. Uh, where Where did you lose me? Um, in the just kind of the the big picture about what the structure is and travel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wonder. Like, okay, it, it the whole point of doing this is to get MLS playing Liga MX. So you're gonna pot. MLS and Liga mm -hmm. MX teams together in the group stage, right? You have yeah. to. Yeah. All right. Well, then how do you deal with travel? Do All the games will be in the U.S., I think. Okay. Well, and, and that's possible. But then let's take it a step further. Are they in the U.S. at neutral sites? Or are they yeah, in know. the U.S. at home venues? And what are the competitive advantages and disadvantages assigned mm -hmm. to that? It could be, get interesting. It could get uh, really interesting with some of it. Like, do, is there a host for the group um and if there is do you maybe have let, let's let's go completely random here for a second let's say atlanta is a host for a group and you've got atlanta you've got pachuca you've got um san jose and you've got nicoxa mm -hmm. um and atlanta is the seeded team in the group okay uh so the everything is based around atlanta would you see a situation like that here where all right atlanta plays their games at mercedes-benz um maybe you do a double header for one of the days but maybe you put nicoxa and pachuca at kennesaw and play it there and, and pack it out that could get interesting maybe san jose plays one of them there maybe you do the 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 double header with atlanta san jose and the mexican game i don't know like I, there's a lot of different possibilities and i think they left that open for now to kind of work through what it could look like and maybe maximize how much money it can make. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great point too. Uh, and that might end up driving all of this, but I think you see where I'm going with this. You, you don't want to get into a situation where your final is Mexico versus Mexico. Your third place is Mexico against Mexico. Yeah, you just your, your, yeah. your quarterfinals are like seven Mexico, one MLS. Like, you I don't know how you can achieve the balance 
of ensuring that, yeah, we know we're going to have at least, we know we're going to have two Mexico and two MLS in the final four, which I think ultimately is the goal, right? Yeah, I just don't think you can force it. Now, one thing I would say, and, and this has come up a lot from a lot of different folks over the last 24 hours since this was announced. I want to do a quick comparison using transfer marked, which is not salaries. It is squad values. But generally, you can draw parallels between a squad's value on transfer marked and how much they're paying in salary and what that looks like. Because the idea is that Mexico's so far ahead of MLS, they just can't compete. I don't, I don't think that's true in general. I think at the very top... Yes, there is a bit of a gap. For example, Atlanta, and a lot of this is down to adding Luis Araujo, has a market value of $76.29 million U.S. That is by far the most in MLS. Monterrey and Tigres and barely Club America are ahead of that, but not by a ton. Monterrey is at $86 million, Tigres is at 80 Club America is at 77.44. Cruz Azul, right around that, 73.92. Santos Laguna is another one. So that's five Mexican teams that are ahead of the number two MLS team. But then is where you start to get more balance between 40 and $50 million, 40 and $55 million in squad value. NYC, LAFC, Toronto, Miami, Orlando, Minnesota, Seattle, Columbus, New England, and Colorado, shockingly. Um, in Mexico, between that, now you've got five ahead, you've got Chivas, you've got Leon, you've got Pachuca, and you've got Atlas. So that's where it starts to separate. Like top tier, yes, there's more Mexican teams that are spending high value. Middle tier, probably more MLS teams in there. It's a bigger league too, but there's more MLS teams that can compete middle to middle. Then at the bottom where it starts to fall off, now you take a team like Mazatlan, who has been – competitive um, over the last couple of years, but their squad value is 18.32 million. Carretero is 18.34. The bottom of MLS is RSL at 22.5, Houston at 22.5. So it's possible. Then you look at the squad sizes. MLS is generally around 30, you know, pretty much maxed out at your, your 30 man. Not every MLS or not every Liga MX team has that deep of a squad. But what they do is they utilize their academy. They don't have to deal with NCAA college restrictions or keeping guys college eligible. They'll use those triple-digit numbers in games and and move it around. So um, Domer says, but the third-string Monterey players are all starters in MLS. Yeah, because there is a different structure. I think that's a, a misnomer. It's not quite to that, but that degree. But, yes, they're deeper. The top teams. But we're talking about the League's Cup, not Monterey versus Atlanta. We're talking about the whole picture. There are MLS teams that we are starting to see more and more that can compete with these top teams. There is a gap. It's still a gap. The idea of this, I think, is to shorten that gap. And MLS is going to have to do some, some things, and one of them is spend more money. And I think another one is, you know, look, they – they used targeted allocation money to strengthen the middle of rosters. And it has dramatically improved the quality of MLS. You can go back and draw that line from TAM coming in and how it was set up to basically make teams spend it 
on a certain kind of player. Not the top, top tier, but that next level starter that was very important. Do you have to structure a salary cap increase that has something like that in it, or is it just straight out you can spend more money? I'll be curious to see what MLS does in that regard, because that's part of it. That might come after a League's Cup edition or two. That might come after revenue coming in. Might come after a rights deal is announced, which is probably the most likely thing. But there's little things like the roster size, like that movement between the reserve side to deal with congestion of, of schedule. But to be more competitive, MLS is going to have to spend more money across the board. And some teams are going to have to spend smarter, too. Yeah. Because some teams spend and spend badly. Dallas, we're looking at you. You're a big <laughs> part of this conversation. You've spent. You've spent badly at times. Uh, Minnesota, spent and spent badly at times. Spent good in some ways, but bad at times. There are teams that are starting to spend more. Where there's more revenue, they should spend more. This should bring in more revenue. Therefore, there should be more spending on salaries. I think it is an unfair statement and people who don't like MLS have said it. They're just trying to make more money for their own pockets. Mm-mm. The, the league's invested a ton. When you bring in more money, they can spend more. This should bring in more money. Yeah. And keep in mind the players benefit from that too. I mean, in the CBA, the players are going to get a larger share of the next TV media deal. Um, so, I mean, that, this benefits everyone. It's not just benefiting the league and its owners. It's benefiting the players as well. I just want to, I want to see a, a, a structure where MLS can be competitive in a tournament like this. And um, it's probably going to evolve. And I, I don't think it's going to go all the way to what some have suggested. MLS is just going to blast away the salary cap and it's going to no. be open season for everything. That's I, not I, I don't see it going to that point at all um what i do think is you're going to see more flexibility in i I don't even want to use the term soft cap because i think that can be misleading but i i think teams are going to have more flexibility to increase their payrolls Mm -hmm. so we'll have to see I, i think it's a an extremely exciting thing uh, and I think it's going to beef up CONCACAF Champions League, too. I, I think yeah, the reformat I like that of it's Champions a League is going to be outstanding. Yep. Um, and, you know, it still creates a path for all the non-Mexican, non-MLS teams to get into CONCACAF Champions League and be able to compete in Champions League. That path still exists. But I think there were some common sense moves made by doing away with the group stage. Um, yeah. in, in champions and, and not going back to it. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree. I I didn't like what they were gonna do with it. If you're gonna do a group stage, do a group stage. Like, right, do as opposed to one. the four matches, yeah. two home, two road. Like yeah. that. That's a half baked group stage. Yeah, like if you're gonna do it, do it. If you're gonna do it, do it across the competition. Don't do just the U.S. and Canadian and Mexican teams in groups. Like if you're gonna do that, do it this way with Leagues Cup where they're going to make more money out of it than lumping it into some CCL first round. This is the better way to do it. CONCACAF got this one right. Um, The Caribbean Cup, the Central American Cup, good ideas. I I like how teams can play their way into this. 
And I think it's the best thing moving forward because ultimately this competition, CCL, is about Liga MX and MLS. Leagues Cup, being able to get more teams in and being a bigger part of this makes a lot of sense. But it also gives MLS and Liga MX the ability to monetize it in a way that under the CONCACAF brand, it, it wouldn't be monetized the same way. Right. I mean, that's just a that's a fact because, and we were, we were talking about this a little bit earlier today, CONCACAF, you have to remember, and this is going to come up when we get into the whole two-year World Cup cycle and the voting around that. CONCACAF is a, a membership organization. It has over 40 members. U.S. is one. They have one vote. Mexico, one, one vote. Canada, one, one vote. They have the same power in the Confederation as Bermuda, you know, as Puerto Rico, um, as Nicaragua. Like, it's the smaller countries in CONCACAF drive CONCACAF. And they want CONCACAF to make money, and that's why League's Cup being part of it is good for them, because they'll make money off of that. It trickles down. It funds those federations. It funds coaching education in... Suriname, although you never know where the money's going in Suriname now that we saw them at CONCACAF <laughs> League last night. Um, it, it, it funds a lot of that. So they've, they're going to control that. But they can only monetize so much under a CONCACAF brand that MLS and Liga MX can do more under their own brand, which will still benefit CONCACAF. Everybody kind of wins with this setup. It does feel like a good compromise, win-win-win for everybody involved. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, you know, me too. Me too. It'll be a good tournament. Uh, and I think it's a tournament that uh, the Liga MX side will take very seriously. Now, what is it? I know we've gotten some questions about what happens to Campione's Cup as a result of all this. I don't know. Um, I'd like yeah. to see that continue. I don't know if it would make a lot of sense to continue it in the summer where it is right now, if you're going to play League's Cup right before it. Um what happens to um, the All-Star game? I think that should continue. Yeah. I think, again, the, the, point of, the point of everything is to increase the number of competitions you're going to have between MLS and Liga MX. I don't want to see the All-Star game go away. I also think the All-Star game is kind of a uniquely American feature that's a fun uh, mid-season distraction for MLS. Now, maybe you can incorporate the all-star game into league's cup where kind of like the pro bowl, you know, if you're not playing for a semifinalist or a finalist uh, you can play in an all-star game and the all-star game can be played the same weekend as the league's cup final and third place game. Uh, that was an idea I talked about on SDH mm -hmm. today, but I'd like to see it continue. Um, I want to see as many meaningful competitions between MLS and Mexico as possible. Yep. Uh, Expanding Leagues Cup's great, but I don't want it to come at the expense of some of the other traditions that I think could grow into something pretty fun. And Campione's Cup and the All-Star Game are two of those. Yeah, I think Campione's Cup can be probably what it should have been to begin with as either, and I would put it at the beginning of a season and probably at the beginning of the MLS season, which would mean you'd need a little bit of flexibility from Liga MX, which they're working well together. I, I think it's doable to have it. If, if the MLS calendar moves up, which I think it will, I think it'll need to start about two weeks earlier minimum. Um, so you're talking mid-February, uh, maybe the weekend after the Super Bowl as a target 
if you do the Campeones Cup the Saturday of Super Bowl weekend. Um, that could work from a time-wise timeline perspective. Again, Liga MX would need to give that team the, the weekend off, make it up as a midweek somewhere. It's doable. It's not ideal, but it is doable. Um, do it as a curtain raiser as we lost Mike again. <laughs> Uh, this is a, a bit of a, a challenge. All you can still hear me, luckily, um, because of the way I'm feeding the audio in. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. But as we get Mike back on, let's try this again. Uh, gremlins. Gremlins, man. Gremlins. I know what the gremlins are, too, and it's on my end. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. So... It, for our viewers, I'll give you a little peek <laughs> behind the curtain here. Uh, I have a new setup here in the office because there are some things that I need to do that I can't currently do at my desk. Uh, so I, I set this whole thing up, and it's very unimpressive. Um, but I had to switch to a different computer, and I don't have admin rights on my computer to update the audio driver. So... Yeah. Every 15 minutes, it seems, the audio driver wants to not let me use my microphone anymore. And the only way to let me use my microphone again is to reboot Skype. So <laughs> there's a good chance that I'm going to drop out at least one more during this, once more during this yeah. show. I apologize. I'm sorry. I know that looks weird. Uh, unfortunately, this is something I didn't really know would happen until we started doing the yeah. show today. So um, hopefully by next week, uh, I'll have it figured out. We'll, we'll Although next out. week, uh, I am not exactly sure uh, when we'll be doing the show because I know there's a, a match yeah. next Wednesday. Yeah, so stay tuned. We'll, Tuesday, we'll figure out when we're doing that. Um, let's, let's transition. I mean, leagues cut, there's still a lot to learn from. We'll, we'll get yes. into it. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, I want to get into something that I have not talked to you about yet. Uh, talked about it a little bit this week, um, on soccer down here. I went through the rest of the Eastern conference schedule and predicted games. Okay. And I, I came to some different conclusions than I probably would have about how things end up if I hadn't done it that way. Okay. Um, let me give you the final picture first and work backwards. So, 
I think New England sets an all-time points record. Uh, I had them get to 76. Okay. Um, they have they have one less match than Atlanta United. I think they have eight left. Mm-hmm. So, and they're on 55 now? I think it is 55 at the moment, yes. So that would have them going 7-1-0 in their last eight. It's pretty favorable. Yeah, oh, no, I know. Yeah. I mean... It's at, it, they're on fifty six well, right now. Yeah, and I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, um, no, no. It, but it is funny looking at teams two through ten in this logjam right now. New England really doesn't play any of those teams. I think they have one match against Miami. I want to say, or no, it's DC. They have like yeah. one match against DC. Other than that, they're not playing teams in that group. They've got a lot left with Toronto and Chicago and Red Bulls and and all of that. They get Colorado late, which is kind of an interesting one. Tricky. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Okay, so I got New England winning with a huge number of points. Next, I've got Nashville at 63. Um pretty solidly number 2, and which was kind of where my gut feeling was anyway. The loss this weekend does open up a door but they should be able to close that door with the schedule they have. Now, picking out the games this way, and I probably wouldn't have said this beforehand, I've got Atlanta third. I've got Atlanta getting to 55. Okay. Um, I've got NYC on 52. I've got Philly on 50. So that gets you to one through five. Philly being that high surprised me a little bit. Columbus getting in, which is what I have doing the predictions, Shocked me. I didn't think I would be there. Um, and what's interesting is seven and eight, I have coming down to the last day. Um, the last day gets a little interesting too because Philly, for example, is at NYC, which could be a really big game in terms of seating. Um, Columbus hosts Chicago, which should be three points. The two teams that I had battling it out for the last spot in, outside of Columbus, because I actually had them uh, one point behind Orlando going into the last day. It's Orlando and Montreal, and they play at Stade Saputo. Hmm. And Montreal would be favored in that game. And I think they would win that game. And that would put them both on 46. And they would both have the same number of wins in my calculations of going through all the games. And it would come down to goal differential between them in that last day. That game could be the one that decides the final spot. That's a testament to how difficult Orlando's remaining schedule is. Because isn't brutal. Orlando already on 38? It's brutal. Yeah. Uh, it's it's absolutely brutal. When you go through it game by game, uh, they're at New England. They're at Nashville. That's their next two. Yeah. They host D.C., not a guaranteed three points. No. Um, they go to Cincinnati. It's on the road, but that should be three points. I, I had them with three points. They host Montreal. Not a guarantee. I have them getting three in that one at home. Did I give them the three against D.C.? Um, no, I actually had a draw on that one. Um, they host Montreal on the 20th. They host New England on the weekend of the 23rd, 24th. New England can go there and win. No question about that. Um, they go to Columbus, and, and that's where I think Columbus can really make up a lot of ground is they play a lot of these teams around them. They play Miami. They play Orlando. 
They play Red Bulls. Like, they can pick up a bunch of points at home with what they have coming up. Orlando hosts Nashville on the weekend before decision day, and then they go to Montreal. Like, there's really, even the trip to Cincinnati, there's no easy three points for them anywhere. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy to think. But, again, not a whole lot, in my opinion right now, is separating two through, I'd even say 13 in the East. There, mm. There's not a lot of separation right now. I'm not he, that. I, I, I cut it really at 10. Red Bulls, their win over the weekend gives them a lifeline. Chicago and Cincy are dead. Well, it, here's why here's why I think Red Bulls aren't totally out of it because they have three matches coming up against New York City. Yeah. And I think two of them are at home. Uh if yeah. they can get nine points out of those well, three yeah. matches, they're right back in it. Yeah, I don't think they can. I yeah, I don't think so yeah. either. I I don't if they do, they'd play their way in. Like they absolutely yeah. would. And they they've got that door open now. I, I'll give them that. I just don't see it with them. I think Columbus, if they get continue to get healthy, can be the one that's farther outside that can get back into it. I think Miami is the one that's a little closer that really has a brutal schedule the rest of the way, and they're going to get tested like they haven't in a while, and it's going to show up. I, I think D.C. will be a little short, but Orlando, Montreal, D.C., Columbus, not a lot separating them. I think there's a little bit separating that group from the Red Bulls. And and Chicago and Cincy, I, I don't have as players in this at all. So what's the number of points you have Atlanta finishing on? 55. And they're at 30. I'll, I'll run through. Right are they at 35 right now? Am I remembering they that They right? are at 36. Six. So you have them earning 19 more points in their last nine matches. Yep. I went okay. through. I'll, I'll give you what where I had them for the what I have left, and and I'm picking this, you know, kind of quick. I'm not really going game by game no, because it's going to change over time. Uh, realistic draw at Philly. Um, mm-hmm. They should beat Miami at home. I think they can go to Montreal and win um, based off what we saw last time. I think that's a game they should win. I think they mm-hmm. match up well with them. Um, Toronto is one of those weird ones. I actually have it as a draw. Like uh, that yeah. could be just one of those weird games. Toronto's a, a more difficult team at home. That could be a win. That could easily be a win. Uh, hosting NYC, I put a draw. Um, that would be one that they could and probably should win at home, but could be a draw. Um, then we get into hosting Miami again. Same thing. They should win that. That's a game yes. you should win, especially at that point where Miami might be out of it by October 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, then host Toronto should win. Then decision day at Cincinnati. I think at that point you should beat Cincinnati on the road. Don't they have a Red Bulls road game in there? Yeah. Oh, a draw. I did uh, November third. That was the weird one where there's two games in the East that day. Yeah. Well, you don't have them losing. I tried to to really look at it as maybe over jumping draws to make up for that because they're going to lose one i mean that's just that's how it goes you're going to lose at least one i put some draws in there that i think could be wins when i went through it to try to get to a somewhat realistic number yeah no i I, I, i'm trying to think here 
Like, actually, you have Philly as a draw this weekend. I think they could win that. They absolutely can. They can uh, win I every probably, game they have left. Like, I don't think so, they'll be favored, but they can win every game they have left. Uh, I'm even trying to think if they'd be favored. I mean, they, I, I don't think they're favored on Saturday. But um, they probably won't be favored going to Montreal, but I bet that's a close the bookmakers would set that pretty close. Outside of that, yeah, they might be favorites in everything else. Because, again, all those home matches. Home games will be favored, I think. And I could see where they'd be favored at Toronto. I could see where they'd be favored at Red Bull and favored at, at Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Uh, especially if Red Bulls and Cincinnati are playing for nothing yeah. in the final week of the season. This is where I think it is. Um, you know, I look at, okay, two against Miami, I think you get four points out of that. Yeah, I could two absolutely. Two against Montreal, that. I think. Or I'm sorry, two against Toronto, I think you can get four points out of that. That's what I had. Um, yeah. You know, you're right. They're probably going to lose somewhere where we aren't expecting them to lose. Yeah. They're probably going to win somewhere where maybe we aren't expecting them to win. And I think that could be Saturday. I, I'm very be. optimistic about Saturday's match, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, the fact that we're even having this conversation about Atlanta United with a pretty decent chance of getting to 55 points, it's quite a departure from the conversation we were having just five or six weeks ago when we were wondering if they could get to 46, mm-hmm. which is probably going to be the number they would need to get to to get in. It's funny. That's I'm, the number that I have as yeah. seven. Yeah, yeah. And, and that might be that might be a little conservative. It might end up being a little bit higher than that. But I think the point you're making in this exercise is correct. We keep forgetting that all these teams, through, two through 10, are going to play each other. Yeah. Atlanta United has a ton of matches left against teams that are in this group. Two against Miami, one against New York City, uh, one against Montreal. Um Philadelphia, uh, one against Philadelphia, obviously. So of their their nine remaining matches, five of them are against teams in that group. And the four that are not, three of them are on the road, <laughs> which mm-hmm. makes it tough as well. Um, I agree with you on New England. I could see them getting over 70 points. I don't know why more people have not really talked about yeah, New England. That's weird. Uh, and, you know, this actually goes back to a conversation we were having when the schedule came out. A couple people said that the supporter shield might be diminished because you aren't playing a true round robin where everyone is playing everyone this year. Um, I made the point, I think, that you know Atlanta United has to play. That This is before the year mm-hmm. began. LAF, Atlanta United has to play LAFC yeah. and Seattle. That's a lot different than a team in the Eastern Conference that has to play Vancouver and Real Salt Lake. Um I'd have to look at New England's schedule. You, you mentioned they play Colorado, which is tricky. I don't know who else they've played from the Western Conference um, this year. Dallas. Da- well, at Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a little different. Yeah. Uh, you but know, I, it's, I it's funny. I, like, I agree with you because I'm right there with you. Like, Supporter Shield is not what it used to be because of the schedule. I, the trophy is diminished because of that. Getting 76 points in a season is not in my mind. Like, that's still incredible. Yeah. Um, I, it's, I almost look at them as two different things. I think it's an incredible accomplishment what New England is, is likely going to do with setting a, a points record. But the trophy itself that they're going to win maybe doesn't mean as much as it did before. 
I don't know if you want to draw the parallel that, oh, well, LAFC's season, their record is better. Mm, I would imagine that will be something that gets used a lot in the national narrative makers because it's LAFC we're talking about. But I think New England will welcome that and put it up on the wall as, as Mike disappears, and we'll get him back here in a couple minutes. I figured it was about that time. Um, New England will put that up on the wall and say, look, they don't, they, don't, they don't give us credit. They don't give us credit. There he is. I think New England will put those narratives up on the wall, and Bruce Arena will point at it every single time before they play when that starts, because it will start. But I think they're going to have to win the cup to validate everything that they've done, or at least go to the final. Same before. Uh, I mean, LAFC had the same situation with their season. I I think that's the same. I think New England will be the favorite. I don't think they're a guarantee to win MLS Cup because playoffs are a whole nother animal. Um, But they'll be the favorite, and they'll have one of the best regular seasons we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, Sharif sent us a question on Twitter and, uh, maybe we can get to some of these, uh, here in the last 15 minutes we have Sharif, uh, this goes back to our leagues cup comp- um, discussion. Um, he wants to know, is leagues cup going to replace Campione's cup? Can the league sustain both in the future? And will the Campione's cup remain relevant if they can keep it going? Campione's Cup's one game, so I mean, no, it's not replacing it because it's like it's two different things. Um, I think Campione's Cup, as we talked about, is going to be better off as a season kickoff event between the two leagues. Uh, I think that's a cool way to start the season, a la the Community Shield in England. Um, I, I think it's a a good starting point. I wouldn't put it at the end of everything because it's you don't want to put it above the. Liga MX final or MLS Cup, to have it after those, I think you want to put it at the beginning. It's where I would do it. Um, could you throw it somewhere in the summer during the season? Sure, you could if you want to. Um, will it still be relevant? I, I think there's a question about its relevancy now because it's so new. Um, Atlanta and Club America kind of elevated it, but then you didn't have it last year because of COVID and, and everything that we've, we've dealt with. You will have it next week. We'll see how it is received in Columbus. I, I hope that it is a good crowd. I hope that it's a fun match. Um, I think it's a, a curtain raiser. That's what it should be. And, and I hope that they kind of re-envision it that way to where it's still useful and it's still valuable. But League's Cup, the winner of League's Cup will be what I think they wanted the Campione's Cup winner to be. But it was just one game. This is a tournament, and this is a – bigger tournament than we would have ever imagined we could have i also think the more trophies the better yeah yeah uh, i'm all about it, trophies. i mean i think it can coexist yeah, but yeah, i don't sure. think there's any doubt that league's cup is going to uh to supplant campione's cup i mean league's cup's going to have a lot more prestige obviously yeah. than campione's, campione's cup. cup's like a super cup this would yeah. be like a real tournament two different exactly. things Exactly right. Uh, I got another question on Twitter. It's more of a comment, um, and it's from uh, Bravo. He says, I see us going back and winning MLS Cup under Pineda for a number of reasons, but the main one is he is coaching to his players' strengths. Do we agree? Um, yeah, I, I think he's coaching 
tactically to the team strengths. Yeah. Um, I, I think there there's always a misnomer with this, and, and it really came up in 2019 with Frank DeBoer, and I, I think a lot of it just played off of some people's feelings about Frank that were unfair to begin with. Um, the manager has to be the manager. Mm-hmm. The players aren't the manager. The players don't run the team. That That's not how it went then. That's not how it should go in a successful team. But a successful manager gets the best out of the group that he has or she has. You don't always have complete control over what you have to work with as a, as a coach. You might have injuries. You, you might have loss of form. You never know what can happen in a season. You have to be able to deal with what happens. And I think Pineda is somebody, and a lot of this is down to his work in Seattle, who has went through that. He can deal with that. And right now, he's finding a way that gets his best team on the field game after game after game. It's not rigid tactically. It's adapting to what he has to work with. Um, Like he talked about Miles Robinson playing as a left center back because it made George Campbell feel more comfortable because Campbell's the younger player. You don't want to put him in an uncomfortable situation. Let him play on the right. Miles handled it. Was it his best game? No, he's better on the right side, but he did it, and it worked, and it was the best for the team. Giving you know Joseph potentially time off here at some point, it'll happen because he'll need it because you're dealing with a sore knee. Okay. You've got three other attackers. We saw the configuration without Joseph and three up front that was very fluid. Okay. It, it, can, it can work, and he's really adaptable, but not – letting the inmates run the asylum. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's not just, oh, whatever you guys want to do, that's what we'll do. No. He's getting the best out of the group. And I think at times that gets... Sometimes that gets looked at as weakness. And that's what happened with DeBoer. It, it was seen as a sign of weakness with him. And I, I don't think that was fair. I think he listened. He adapted. He also had to deal with a crazy situation where he had no outside backs available. And he found something that worked and wrote it, but didn't stay rigid with it either. I mean, go back to the playoff game against Philadelphia, where he went to a 4-4-2-4-2-3-1 after playing a whole lot of 3-5-2. And it was the right thing. He, he sat pity against New England because he didn't like the matchup. Like, he, he made bold moves. Mm-hmm. I think Pineda looks at what he has game after game and says, this is the best group to get me a win, and this is how we'll do it. While staying true to a philosophy, but adapting based off what's available. That's that's a smart manager. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think, too, I mean, it, coaching to a player's strength is, is one way of putting it, but I, I do think Pineda, in a very short amount of time, has gotten a very good feel for... Um, his player's mental state. I think it's something he cares deeply about, but I I think he, he has pushed a lot of the correct buttons in relating to his players in a way that they're going to respond to him uh, mentally. Um, Even something like bringing the, the supporters groups into training on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a brilliant move. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to train differently or play differently on Saturday. But I think it's just another element to um, 
freshen things up and keep his players engaged. And I think the yeah. players really responded to it on Tuesday. If you watch the video of yeah. how they interacted with the supporters, I, I think they enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it, Jason, you and I have talked a lot about some of the things that they're doing in training right now. It's still intense, but it, yeah. it might be a fun kind of intense. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's not necessarily coaching to players' strengths. I think it's just understanding his players' mental state. I think he's done a brilliant job of that so far. Definitely uh, part of it. And obviously it's translated. I mean, they're, they've won seven of their last eight as a result. Burned with the, the, the best comment of the day <laughs> because it made me laugh. Uh, Pineda's smart enough not to call it a 3-4-3, which forever r- triggers <laughs> English pundits for some reason. Uh, <laughs> man, people get bent out of shape about calling something a 3-4-3. Uh, but that's, that's basically what they're playing. It's fluid. It, you don't look like a 3-4-3 all the time, but I look at it more as a 3-4-3 than a 3-5-2, which typically I would say a 3-5-2 if you have two true number nines up high and staying up high. That's not how this one works. Like Barco, Moreno, Araujo are free when they're in those roles, and it's fluid. Um, but, yeah, if you call it a 3-4-3, oh, buddy, people are going to get bent out of shape. <laughs> What that, that uh, that's so no you can't do that. We get so uh, overly engaged in formation uh, in our general soccer conversation. The I, U.S. and England, I think, does the most, and yeah, I don't know why. I just don't understand. Like it to me, when I'm watching and describing, it always looks fluid to me. It always yeah. looks fluid. What and, I look for, uh, it's so simple, Mike. And we talk about this every time when a lineup comes out. I immediately go to how many center backs, mm-hmm. how many central midfielders, and how many up top as a fixed point. That's all that's I worry all about. Matters. And goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to know who's playing in goal. That, right. That's definitely, that's maybe the first thing I look at. But you're right. Those are the only yeah. fixed points on the pitch. Everything else is fluid. I'm looking at the spine. That's it. The rest of it's all matchup based and fluid. Yeah. By the way, uh, it, if you were at training on Tuesday, really great job. That looked fantastic. And, and yeah. I know there was weather and, and a lot of people took time out of work to get there. Um, I, I, I think I get the sense the players really, really enjoyed that. Um, I know Joseph, according to reports, I was not there, obviously, but according to reports, Joseph uh, came off the training round early. And I, I know there's been some reporting about his knee. Uh, Gonzalo Pineda said he didn't think it was serious. He hopes it's not serious. Now I know there's been a, a question of, is an MRI going to be needed or, or anything like that? Um, I am not concerned. No. Uh, I, I think the fact that if the reporting is correct, that Joseph was cleared Saturday and again Monday and went out to train on Tuesday, Joseph is probably okay. It definitely is reasonable to assume that he's going to be dealing with soreness and probably will deal with soreness in that knee for the rest of his life. Um, Possible. Is it sore to the point where it's debilitating? That's where you get concerned. But, you know, I think it was an encouraging sign that Joseph came out and tried to train yesterday. Um, Even if Joseph were 100%, I wouldn't be shocked if he got the day off on Saturday. Or you're gonna limited have, minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's possible, yeah. too. You're going to have three matches in eight days starting mm-hmm. Saturday, two of them on the road. Yep. Uh, 
it would be not a terrible idea to try to manage his workload as, as much as they possibly can. Uh, and that could mean giving him a day off or reduced minutes. Keep in mind, too, like Joseph hasn't played a full 90 a whole lot this year. Hmm. Not a whole lot. I mean, there have been some situations, not a whole lot. Where he, even when he was with Venezuela, yeah, seldom would he play a full ninety. So, I think it's just kind of the reality of where Joseph is with his knee right now. But it's not anything I'm losing any sleep over. No, he, he's going to have soreness. He's going to have days where he doesn't train because of soreness. He's going to have days where his training is short. Um, he's going to have games where he's not ninety minutes available. And and these are things that are going to happen I, I think the the good elements here if you're Atlanta United and you look at this from a big picture they showed against Orlando that they can absolutely be dangerous in the attack without Joseph in the team um, they can manage that in some ways maybe you have a little more balance to deal with certain teams in that situation um, they'll be fine like they'll have that flexibility and I don't think I think there's two different elements to Joseph's knee that you have to separate. Is he injured, which is a problem? Is he sore, which is somewhat expected at this point? If he's sore, it's managing. It's how much can he deal with? How much, you know, is he able to play through and be, you know, good in playing through? If he's injured, you got to shut it down. You got to get it fixed. But if it's sore, you manage it. And, and you're probably going to do that by managing his minutes and his workload in training and in games. And, you know, you're going to look at where they're playing on turf versus where they're playing on grass. You're going to look at how many games in a short period of time. Like, there's there's things that will weigh on that plan, but I'm sure they probably have a loose plan right now for the rest of the season with him and what that looks like, and they'll adapt it as they need to. All right, I'm coming up on 15 minutes. Which <laughs> I bet my microphone's going to shut down again really quick. So Probably. If it does. If it does. Uh, we're on at 3 o'clock Saturday, 92.9 the game. Sirius XM Channel 157, Atlanta United app, Odyssey app. Kickoff will be close to 3.50 Eastern yeah. time. I think it's a winnable game. Yeah, I could too. see any of the possible results happening on Saturday. But I, I think it's a winnable game. I, Philadelphia seems to be spiraling. A little bit, although, you know, as we expected against an Orlando team <laughs> that had a lot of players out, they did yeah. kind of get their sea legs back a little bit on Sunday. Yeah. I don't know how much to read into that result, though. I don't read much into it because it's Orlando who's really spiraling right now, um, as we've seen them do from time to time. Uh, Philly's lost five of their last eight. They've won two. They've drawn one in all competitions. That's a problem. Um they're just not playing as well as they were earlier in the season. I mean, it's, it's a lot of the same players back now. Jamiro Montero is back in the team. Shabilko had two goals against Orlando. Corey Burke started next to him. It's the 4-4-2 diamond, which Pineda hasn't played against with Atlanta United, but he's played against in his time in Seattle. So it's, some, it's not like Heinze seeing it and really not having a lot of experience with it. Pineda just hasn't had this group with it. He's also got the games that Atlanta's played against Philly to look at. And there's good things to look at in those games, too. So he'll have things to, to use here to look at this. I think it's, it's really going to be trying to set up the opportunities to get in behind Kai Wagner, to get in behind Olivier and Baizo, 
to get Luis Araujo in behind in those spaces, to get Marcelino Moreno freed up 1v1 against those players, and to let Barco do what he's been doing lately and pull the strings. I think those are the keys. Defensively, you got to deal with Shabilko. Obviously, you've got to be tidy in dealing with Philadelphia's pressure. Don't force it. Um, if the play's long, play long. Try to build up because you're going to generate a better chance. But if the pressure is, is too strong from Philly, go long. Reset. Use your pressure. <laughs> That's going to do it for Mike. That's going to do it for us. We will be back next week, probably on Tuesday. We'll be live with you on Saturday. Have a good rest of the week. We'll be talking to you. Adios, muchachos y muchachas. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.